Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. Haggai 2, verse 4 through 5. once again i am so excited to be in this space where i get to share the good news of jesus christ you know whether he is encouraging us or calling us to repentance we want to be a people who are zealous for jesus and not only that but we want to hunger after righteousness so this week's episode is a continuation of our last episode consider your ways this is part two of the series if you haven't had a chance to check it out you should definitely do so so just a little recap On the last episode, we talked about biblical principles of what happens when we're caught up doing our own thing. We also talked about the realigning of our heart postures to the things of God. Last but not least, the assurance of God's promise. But before we get started, let's pray. Father, we thank you that the unfolding of your words give light. It imparts understanding to the simple. Holy Spirit, fill this place with your presence. Let your presence go forth. Permeate every home, every car, everywhere this podcast is being played. Exalt yourself that they may see you. We posture ourselves at your feet and we say, do what you do. Move how you want to move. Say what you want to say. For I am just a vessel. Remove me completely out of the way for your glory. Open our eyes to see and our ears to hear what your spirit is saying in this hour. And as I always say, let the words of my mouth in the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my rock, my strength, my redeemer, my everything. <laughs> All right, so today we will be reading out of um, the book of Haggai, the chapter 2, the ESV version. So we're going to get started. Similarly to our last episode, we will be dissecting a few verses, depending on what the Holy Spirit wants to do. There's um, These verses are a bit lengthy, but we're going to be all right because the word of God is the only word that can truly sustain us and set us free. Is that all right? So let's dive into the word. Please turn with me to Haggai 2, verse 1 through 9, and it states, In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, The word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shaltiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Zohozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong. O Joshua, son of Zohozadak, the high priest, be strong, all of you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, 
for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. And I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Whew. There is so much to unpack here. So, so much. So in this particular chapter, we see that the Lord summoned Haggai within a month's time to speak to Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah, and Joshua, the high priest in a remnant. My first question was, why would the Lord need to send prophet Haggai in such a short amount of time if the people had begun the work? In the subsequent verse, it was evident that the people became despondent and defeated. So this would explain the urgency of the Lord summoning Haggai. It's very valuable for you guys to see the mental warfare that takes place in one's mind when we begin to compare. But first, let's take a look at verse 3. The Lord says to them, Who is left among you saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? The context in which God asked these three questions were due to a people experiencing an inferiority complex. So what is an inferiority complex exactly? Well, an inferiority complex is a psychological term used to describe people with intense feelings of inadequacy or insecurity, deriving from actual or imagined physical or psychological deficiency. So such people are constantly doubting and comparing themselves. This was the, the remnant's mental state. Watch this. The first, the first question the Lord asked was, who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? The word who is a direct indicator of who God was speaking to. And it was the remaining few. The word left in Hebrew translates here it, and it's spelled S-H-E apostrophe E-R-I-T, which means surviving remnant, which is also a wordplay for the word left. So if we were to rephrase this question, right, what the Lord was asking was, who is the surviving remnant that saw the house in the past when it was filled with my presence? I truly believe the surviving remnant were struggling internally, hence the reason why God asked them, how do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? I want us to take a look at the word see, because the Holy Spirit pressed it upon my heart. To see something means to discern or deduce mentally after reflection or from information, so mainly to understand something. I truly believe the Lord asked this specific question because he wanted them to see that their perspective mattered or the lens in which they looked at a thing mattered. Or one can say their frame of reference mattered because when you think about it, right, our perspective influences the things that we do. Now let's take a look at the third question. Is it not as nothing in your eyes? The Lord asked. 
The word nothing means of no value. What God was asking them and currently asking us is, is our perception of his house of no value. When something is of no value, we we don't entreat it with care because it equates to nothing. These questions were asked because God was weighing their hearts while simultaneously revealing the very thing that was hindering their relationship with him, which was their faith to believe God to do the impossible in the midst of seeing something as no value. So the question we should be asking ourselves here is, are we looking at things from the right lens? You see, the Temple of Solomon was known for its physical beauty and richness, And because they could see that the rebuilt temple would look inferior to Solomon's great temple, they became discouraged. It's abundantly clear through God's word that some were stuck in the past, unable to move forward, not just because they were discouraged, but mainly because they started comparing. You see, one of the chief tools of the enemy is discouragement. When the spirit of discouragement comes, it comes to steal your joy your hope, and everything that is attached to you. And that's what the spirit of discouragement did to that generation of remnant. It stopped them from working. It stopped them from seeing things from God's perspective. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but if you were to look deeper within the text, you can see that God was working on their heart posture, renovating some things within them that will enable them to see. I believe the Holy Spirit has a key lesson we can, we can learn from the remnants from Haggai's day. And that lesson is to be aware of comparison. As the builders of the kingdom, as the remnant of this generation, God is saying through his word, don't get caught up. Don't be too preoccupied by what appears on their surface. Don't compare for through comparison enters jealousy and V, which opens the heart for the enemy to sell spurious ideas that are contrary to the word in the will of God. It's evident that once the remnant started comparing, the spirit of discouragement came upon them. Hence the reason why they stopped working. Many of us have fallen unwittingly due to comparison. Hear me, hear me by the spirit of the Lord. What the spirit, what the Holy Spirit was revealing through this verse was how the spirit of discouragement works and how it can deter you from moving forward into the destiny that God has for you. What they had perceived as insignificant or incomparable was the very thing that God was building upon. It's indisputable that God had moved on from the former and wanted them to grasp or grab a hold of what he was doing for he was doing a new thing and he did not want them to miss it. Isaiah 43, 19 states, Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? Here's that word again. Perceive meaning to see. I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert, says the Lord. The word of God truly transcends time. We've entered a time and space where the Lord is calling forth his people to build just as he did, just as he did during Prophet Haggai's time. In the subsequent verses, we see how God met with them in their mental state of discouragement. He uplifted them, then gave them instructions. Haggai 2 verse 4 through 5 is the perfect example of this. And it reads, Now yet be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Zohazadak, the high priest. Be strong, all of you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, 
therefore I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. These were the directives. The first being be strong. The second being work for I am with you. The third, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. I'm going to give you a minute to write them down. Then we're going to take them one by one. Number one, be strong. Number two, work for I am with you. Number three, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. Now let's look at them. Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Zohazadak, the high priest. Be strong, all of you people of the land, declares the Lord. God's challenge is twofold here. The word yet is used as a conjunction. It's literally God saying, I know what you see, but what you see is not all there is. Be strong in spite of. I want to draw your attention on how many times the word strong was mentioned in this verse. It was mentioned three times to three different groups of people. First, Zerubbabel. We're just going to call him Z because his name is kind of hard to pronounce. Second, Joshua, son of Zohazadak, the high priest. Third, the people of the land, the remnant. Notice the message or the command that God had for them was the same and it was to be strong. So whenever God repeats himself, it is an indicator that we should pay close attention. The word strong here means firmly held or established, meaning our strength is established in God. Let me prove it to you. The Bible states that his grace is sufficient, but his power is made perfect in our weaknesses. It is in our weaknesses that God shows his glorious splendor. Isn't discouragement a weakness? Let's take a look at another verse, Joshua 1 verse 9. And it reads, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. This is literally an authoritative order from God that is not up for discussion. Be strong and courageous. Whether you are building something physical or posturing your heart before the Lord. As he built you up spiritually because you are the temple. God is calling you. God is calling us to be strong. He is calling us to move ahead in his strength. For it is through his strength we're able to do all things. For the word says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So the second set of instruction the Holy Spirit has for us is verse 4. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. As I read the word work, the first thing that came to mind was physics. So I took a physics course um, back in college years ago that kicked my butt. You see, I love the idea of physics, but I hated the work of physics, if that makes any sense. It's fascinating to me that gravitational pull is what enables us to sit on a chair and the chair not collapse. But anyway, we're going to take a trip down to memory lane. This is truly significant. In the physics world, work is defined as measure of energy, transfer that occurs when an object is moved over a distance by an external force, at least part of which is applied in a direction of the displacement. So you're probably asking, what is all this jargon about? Don't worry. 
this idea will be explicated fully. Just bear with me. Meaning that work is simply done when a force produces motion. What is a force exactly? Well, a force is a push or pull upon an object resulting from the object's interaction with another object. So whenever there is an interaction between two objects, there is a force upon each of the objects. When the interaction ceases, the two objects no longer experience the force, which means that forces only exist as a result of an interaction. You're probably asking Marge, where are you going with all of this? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. Watch this. So as we work, there is a displacement, meaning there is a gap between our starting point and our final point. So my question then becomes, who is the force who produces this motion of this motion in order for work to be done? So if you answered the Holy Spirit, you would be right. So it is within that gap that the Holy Spirit works. It is within that gap of discouragement that Haggai the prophet came to breathe new life into the remnant. And it's the same with us. God works within the gap of discouragement. It is within that gap that our humanistic ideals transubstantiate and our heart posture begins to change. It is within that gap God says, work, I am with you. The word with is twofold here. With is an indicator that the presence of God enables us to carry out the work. The work is our place of assignment and moreover, the word with also indicates the force that exists as a result of our interaction in our faith in God that enables us to complete the work or the assignment that has been assigned to us. So my proposed question is, who's the force producing your motion of work? Are you a conduit to the assignment or the work of the enemy? Or are you a conduit to the assignment or the work of the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords? Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. So what is this covenant we speak of? I believe God is speaking of the Mosaic covenant, specifically that of Exodus 19, verse 5 through 6, and it reads, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured, my treasured possession among all people, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. This specific verse shows the covenantal relationship between God and his people. What this tells me is that the covenant of God is a conditional promise. The word if is a conditional clause, which means that the reciprocal element of those promises are embedded in the covenant itself, mainly that of faith and of obedience. So when we look at the Mosaic Covenant, right, which was the Ten Commandments that defined the life that the Lord was calling his people to live before him, or what the law actually revealed was that it could not bring the people to perfection. It also revealed the spiritual separation of man from God due to their sinful nature. And most of all, it revealed their need for a savior. What I found interesting in this verse was that it stated according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. Egypt represented a place of bondage. The opposite of bondage is liberty. Liberty is the quality or, or state of being free. Isn't Jesus the remedy for bondage? 
For Galatians 5, 1 states, For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Isn't that what bondage represent? A yoke of slavery? Could it be that God was revealing or reminding the remnant of their true identity in him? If one's true identity is found in Christ, right? And the covenant of Moses distinctly showed that their need for a savior, then there must be a correlation. So what is the link between the covenant of Moses and that of Jesus? Well, I'm glad you asked that question because the law of Moses was the preparatory gospel for the coming of Jesus. The law, the law of Moses was also the testament of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me prove it to you. Let's take a look at Matthew 5 verse 17 and it reads, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them but to fulfill them. The law that Jesus was speaking of was the law of Moses. So what Jesus was saying was that he himself was the fulfillment of the law. He perfectly obeyed all the laws. His life exemplified holiness from his birth to his crucifixion on the cross, from his behavioral patterns to his ministry. Jesus was the great sacrifice that the prophets spoke of. I don't want to get ahead of myself. We'll delve into holiness holiness in our next episode. So let's move ahead to the third directive that the Holy Spirit has for us, and it is, My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. The command, fear not, is truly based on the assurance of God's presence. For the word says, My spirit remains in your midst. Just like his spirit was with the likes of Moses, his spirit is in our midst. What a strong statement. What this tells me is, that as the remnant, we are obligated to fulfill our covenant obligations. We are obligated to be a conduit to show God's glory as he establishes his kingdom on the earth. If we truly are the remnant of God. If the kingdom is in us and the Holy Spirit dwells on the inside of us, then it means everything must be subjugated to the power of God that is within us. As we work to build and restore his temple to his original blueprint. We should not fear, for the word says, For the Lord has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love in a sound mind. So let's keep going. For thus says the Lord of hosts, Yet once more in a little while, I will, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. And I will shake all nations, so all the treasures of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Haggai 2, verse 6-9. So do you guys see the prophetic utterance in these verses? God is speaking to us prophetically. The word says, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. The word shake means to move irregularly to and fro. For something to move to and fro, it would mean that the very foundation is unstable. When something is unstable, it is liable to fall or sway. 
The result of the shaking is to throw down kingdoms. Anything man-made that has lifted themselves above the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ will be thrown down. As this shaking takes place, the churches or houses, the people that are deeply rooted, no pun intended, are liable to fall or sway. But the houses with a solid foundation, the houses that truly desire, desire him, will be filled with his glory cloud, which is the manifestation of his presence. The word says, the silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. What God is saying through his word is that everything belongs to him. And that the future glory of this house, the word this is used to identify a specific person or a thing close at hand. The word this is twofold here. This could be referring to the second coming of Jesus, or one may say this may also be referring to the millennial church in the power that is coming upon the righteous. Nonetheless, the latter glory shall be greater than the former because Jesus himself is the Prince of Peace. But before peace can be established, there must be judgment. In the present context, God intends to move in judgment by shaking things up. When I asked the Holy Spirit to give me a bit of context of what he meant, I was directed to read Hebrews 12, 25 through 27. We're going to be reading out of the Amplified Version. I want us to get a clear understanding of what God is saying through his word. And it reads, See to it that you do not refuse to listen to him who is speaking to you now. For if those sons of Israel did not escape when they refused to listen to him, who warned them on earth, revealing God's will, how much less will we escape if we turn our backs on him, who warns from heaven? His voice shook the earth at Mount Sinai then, but now he has given a promise, saying yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the starry heaven, now this expression yet once more indicates the removal and final transformation of all those things which can be shaken, that is, of that which has been created, so that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude and offer to God pleasing service and acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is indeed a consuming fire. You see, when God wants to tear down what is man-made and establish what is heaven-sent, he shakes things up. When God speaks, the earth shake. And it's clearly evident that God is shaking things up. So can you imagine a judgment that's greater than what we face globally in 2020? Can you imagine a greater shaking within the church and amongst its people? Can you imagine a greater transitioning of souls? What we face in 2020 is nothing compared to the shaking that's coming. Consider your ways, says the Lord. Repent of your wicked ways. The burden of my heart as I read this verse. This verse is speaking of a people who refuse to listen. They rejected and turned their backs on God. This is speaking specifically to an Exodus generation. Could it be that we as the church, we as his house, the temple, 
has also become an Exodus generation, a generation that has failed to respond to God's redemptive work. The redemptive work of God is received by faith through Jesus Christ. So see to it that you do not harden your hearts. You do not reject God and his warnings in this hour. For there is a price to pay for those who reject him. Hear me by the spirit of the Lord. In this new era, the Lord is establishing the future reality of his kingdom. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken. Only those things which cannot be shaken may remain. So my question then becomes, will you be one of those that will remain as the shaking takes place? Is your foundation solid? Is it built upon a rock? Can God trust you to not be overwhelmed by the circumstances of the moment? Can God trust you to persevere in your faith? Can God trust you to work and do what he's called you to do? Can God trust you? For the Lord is making an appeal in this hour, and it is to be strong, and it is to work, and it is to fear not, for he is with us. Jesus. Father, we thank you for this wonderful time together. Oh Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Father, wash us with hyssop so we can be whiter than snow. Cleanse us, Lord. Purify us for your glory. If you, Lord, should mark inequities, oh Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. So Father, forgive us for not always getting it right. We stand in one accord and we say we don't want to be like the Exodus generation. We don't want to be like the ones who continue to disobey you to the point of no return. Forgive us, Lord. We repent. Oh, you, oh Lord, are forgiving and good, abounding in love to all who call to you. Father, we call to you and we say thank you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy. And because your word says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. So we stand in who we are in you, Father. We thank you for the open heaven over this place. We thank you for the angel that you've already sent forth. So, Father, we just thank you for whatsoever is being spoken in this place mirrors what's already been spoken in heaven in a name and by the blood of Jesus Christ, that every single thing that is spoken here shall come to pass because we are one. So, Father, we come against the spirit of discouragement. We come against the spirit of comparison. We come against anything that may deter your people from doing the work which you've called forth for them to do for your kingdom, Father God. And we say, Satan, the Lord our God rebukes you. We stand in victory. We stand in victory. We stand in victory and we commit our work to the Lord and we say that your plan your plans, Father, your plans and purposes for our lives shall be established. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, guys, this concludes our second episode of the second season. Thank you guys so much for rocking with Jesus and I. Join us in a couple of weeks as we delve into part three of the series. We're going to delve into the posture of holiness. My challenge for you guys this week is to ask the Holy Spirit to help you see things from the light of eternity. I truly believe that with this episode, um, what the Spirit of the Lord wanted us to understand is that God is the one who adds value to our work for little is much 
when God is in it. So be encouraged. Be strong in the Lord in his mighty power for the work is already completed in him. The work has already been accomplished in him. So just be encouraged. You just have to literally walk out the process by faith. You know, remember that faith in God can move mountains. So thank you guys for listening. See you guys next time. Be blessed. I love you guys so, so much.